Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, if this is your first Sendcast, then welcome. The aim of the podcast is really simple. We want to reach lots of lots of people and help you all learn more about special education needs and disability. In this episode, we're discussing Senko workload and Senko wellbeing. My guest this week is Lynn Howe. Lynn is an educational consultant. She is the editor of Teacher Toolkit website, and she's also a blogger. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help schools to show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress or struggling to identify where people isn't making progress, we can help. And did you know you can use B-Square's assessment software for more than just your pupils with SEND? You can now use one system for all pupils, saving you time and money. And it also simplifies the whole assessment and data process. Visit the B-Square website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting and let us take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. Our discussion topic for this week is Senko workload and well-being and how to raise your profile. My guest this week is Lynn Howe. Lynn is an education consultant, editor of the Teacher Toolkit website and a blogger. Lynn has worked in education for over 20 years, including being an assistant head, lead mentor for ITT and being a Senko. And one of her big focuses is well-being for both staff and pupils. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. Now, on our previous podcast, we discussed where do Senko start? What do they need to do? The list of responsibilities is big and can often come with lots of other roles because they're seen as overlapping. So Senkos need to protect themselves, don't they? Absolutely, they need to protect themselves. And sometimes people don't really understand what you do in a school. You kind of, it almost looks as if you're you're hidden away sometimes and you know, we know that the Senko needs to be as outward facing as possible, needs to fit into classes, but that's often easier said than done with all the paperwork side of things. Yes, and I suppose if you go back years, or previously we talked them as cuddly cardigans, is the episode I've done with Abigail Hawkins, which is you used to be just, you know, just go and play with the kids every so often to you know, help them with those few bits, but that was seen. But the role is so much more than that. There's so much paperwork has come in that's a big part of the job now and it's a very big job isn't it it is massive and you know the issues are exacerbated really when your head teacher and your senior leaders have no idea what you do your colleagues in class can't really understand why you're so busy the parents can't understand why the child's not getting help even though they've got a diagnosis you know, the parents of the children with the HEPs can't understand what there's no adult Velcro to them. Your post-pandemic SEND register has got larger. Wellbeing is at an all-time low with no SEMH-specific support available. Your LEA writes ridiculous statements in the HEPs. Your LEA appears to think that mainstream is suitable for everybody. You haven't been able to get hold of an educational psychologist for six months. And regardless of how much you work at home, your work is never done. So apart from those things, it's absolutely fine. And also your EHCP hasn't it been updated for five years. Oh, that's true as well. No, you've still got your infant picture on it, even though you're in yes. year eight. <laughs> Sounds like a really simple thing to overcome. We just need like DIY SOS of the SEM world. Cloning, I think, could be an answer. Okay, yes, cloning, yes, multiple But only cloning. during the school day, otherwise it would just get weird at home. <laughs> that would be very weird. <laughs> I'm not going to, no, I can investigate that in many ways and I'm going to stay well yeah, aware, we'll well away from that. that. <laughs> yes, we'll end that there. Yes. I mean, who, I mean, you have to share the car home? Just, I don't know. No. Mm. no. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And on the previous podcast, we also talked about it can be an isolating job as well. Definitely. Yeah. And if you're in a mat and you've got a cluster of schools, it's not quite so bad, but definitely there are times when you do feel on your own and often you have to kind of force yourself to find answers outside of school I mean there are answers out there and there's lots of amazing online groups like you know you mentioned Abigail's group Sensible Senko is just one of those groups there's loads on Facebook there's loads of places to network if you go looking for it but 
I think sometimes we're so tunnel visioned because we can only cope with what's right in front of us because of the workload that it's sometimes difficult to think outside of that. Yeah, I think people will feel like if I'm spending time in an online group or if I'm literally meeting up with people, I'm getting behind on my work. I haven't got time for that. But you need to have that step back. You need to, because sometimes you'll walk away from it, you'll go spend a half an hour in this online group and just read posts and realise everyone else is doing the same thing, but you might just see something or you might not, but you just empty your head. And when you come back to your work, you just might see something you didn't see 10 minutes ago. Definitely. And you get like other professionals putting their ideas in as well. You can come come back with three ideas where you didn't have any before. So definitely getting that networking in to start with is a really important part of the role, really. And just and looking for it. There's cluster groups going on usually within LEAs and just making sure that you sort of make sure you find time for it because it is really important. And it's that sort of debrief as well, isn't it? Because actually, if you can take yourself out of the role and look, go somewhere else, physically and look at it from a different angle you kind of get different things out of it and it makes you feel better when you've got some solidarity with people with the same issues i like in nottinghamshire they have families of schools so there's loads of families so it's like all the local schools some of them are in the academy i don't fully know but they're all like in this area you're all in this family and there's a lead senker of that family who looks after the other senkos and i love that that's great because that's a great model You've got a load of Senkos who know each other. I think it's like 10, 5, 10 schools per family. So you, it's enough that you can't just sit there in a meeting and not be part of it. And actually, if you've got Senkos as friends, you, know, you can get them to get together and you can just rant for hours about everything. And it just makes you feel better, definitely. So having other people that understand you within your role is really important because I think I was saying in the last podcast we recorded that Sometimes when you're a new Senko in a school, it's very isolating because you might be used to being in a big team of other class teachers. If you don't have a class responsibility, you won't be in a team as such necessarily. And although you're part of the senior leadership team or should be, you kind of still a little bit out on a limb because your remit might not cover the same things as the senior leadership team. So, yeah, definitely getting any sort of relationships with other people and talking to people where you can is really important. And you'll find in some schools, a Senko is seen as going against the grain, yeah? The rest of the school is trying to get those SAT scores and all of this lot, and you care about the children who aren't going to get that. And that's just, and it's that, the pressure to perform as a school to meet those targets are set by the local authority and things like that, and all the league table rubbish means that that is often what the head teacher focuses on, the 70% of children who will achieve that and make sure the 70% achieve that. And then literally almost forgetting about the 30%. As a Senko, you're caring about the 30% or 20% or 10%. But that's the bit you're caring about and that's the bit you're fighting for. And that's what you're telling to every single member of staff. We need to spend more time on this 30%. But the school leaders are going, but they're never going to make it. We don't do the no man left behind thing. We leave them behind because they're not going to make it. It's a tricky situation, isn't it? And you know, I've been the other side of it. So I think unlike other Senkos, because I've been in a leadership position, before becoming a Senko, I can see that model of it as well. So that helps me a little bit more, be a bit more objective about my views on the tunnel visioning that you can get through being a Senko. But you know, at the same time, if you cater really well for that, that 30% or however many percent that are struggling, then you've automatically created a much better learning environment for everybody because there's a lot less disruption in classes and things like that. So it's a question of those quick fixes, isn't it, for that that 70% as opposed to better embedded processes for everybody. And you'll find, as you said, as I said, you do a lot of work on well-being. And that's the thing, if you're trying to support the well-being of 30% you're doing it in the classroom, you're going to support the well-being of every child. Because what works for SEM works for all. I need to get some bingo cards made. And it is, so you're going to sit there and actually those children, and... When I was a governor, they'd be like, there's these five children, we're not sure how they're going to perform on the day. They might be really anxious, they might be that. If you're putting some well-being stuff in for everyone, then those children will benefit and they're more likely to perform well. So it's one of those things is what the Senko doesn't just perform for that 20 or 30%, it helps them all. But the problem is it's not, you're not promoting do lots more English and maths. So therefore it goes against the grain of what everyone else is saying to do. No, I think it's gradually shifting. And I think post-pandemic with like more and more 
emotional and mental health issues, schools are turning to needing to support children and staff themselves because there's so little resources out there. So gradually we're getting into having more people in school able to do that, which is fantastic. And part of my sort of consultancy role is working with schools on that well-being side of things to make sure that just processes are embedded just throughout the school, really, because, you know, happy staff, happy children, happy results, basically. You know, that's, you know if you're looking for results as a school, actually, it's still well-being. That's the core of that anyway. So regardless of whether you're results driven or people driven, well-being is still in there. Yes. It's like many years ago, I had a boss who would say, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get the job done. And I reflected on him. But if we like you, we'll do more for you. Mm. He went away and he came back a week later, a different person, which was great. It was a nice little bit where he listened and changed, which, and after that, we've been friends on Facebook. But it's things like that. It is well-being. If you want the best, if you want the best results, well-being has to be part of that. And the best schools I've worked in, I've worked in seven schools now over 20 years. And the schools that seem to be doing the best are the ones where everybody is on board with the well-being. It's a family community. Everyone helps each other. There's not a sort of too much scrutiny. Everyone's a bit more chilled out, really, because and schools that have not worked are where there is learning walks all the time, over-scrutiny, and just not a happy workplace. So I've kind of seen the full spectrum, which has really helped me in my consultancy work, interestingly enough. <laughs> So what you're saying is everything's directly linked to the head teacher's well-being. I would say that the head teacher needs to support everybody's well-being, but not forget about their own. Good thing when you hear learning walks, and I was when I was chair of governors, I think the head teacher was paranoid that Ofsted were coming, so she kind of ran on scared mode, and that's what she pushed out to everyone was being scared of Ofsted mm. and worrying about what we're doing because Ofsted are going to come here, and that is not a calm school. No. Yeah, what is it you're worried about? And she couldn't really phrase what she was worried about. And that, so that just fed from her. You could, she just oozed worry and fear, which meant she was missing things. She wasn't supporting people. It just changed the whole tone. Whereas if you are a confident leader and you uh, support your staff and you see what they return back and you're confident in everything you're doing and you're believing in what you're doing, it'll be a very different school. Completely agreed. And the leaders that have the confidence with that side of things are the ones that ultimately get the results. If the school is great for well-being for pupils and for teachers, then in turn, your staff will do more for you just out of loyalty. And you know it's a much happier place to work. And they're the schools that have the lowest turnover of staff. And they're quite difficult to find sometimes to work in because there's so few vacancies. Yes. So one of the things we just, in the intro, was about raising your profile. And to me, what that's about is you as a Senko know your role. But a lot of time, the other people in school don't know your role and don't know what you're doing. Mm. So it's important to me that you're sharing what you're doing. You're sharing the impact you're having. And it's making people aware of what's going on within the world of SEN that you are doing. Yeah, so I would say I'd certainly advocate transparency as one of the number one things. So for colleagues to really appreciate how much is on your plate, for example, just tell them what you do, make a list of what you do. And there's a document on my website to support that, as I mentioned in the previous podcast about the workload and how you can track it. And, you know, just let them know if they think that you're chained to your desk all the time and they don't quite understand what you're doing then actually write it in black and white and share it in a staff meeting and say, look, this is actually what I do on a daily basis. And then when those ad hoc things crop up, like if you're on a, I don't know, Jacob's mum phones, and that can take an hour because she's a slightly stressy parent and just needs that reassurance, you're going to give that time to that person because it will make them feel better. But that's an hour out of your day. And the same time as if you're up the field supporting Jen because she's kind of having a moment that yeah it takes another hour out of your day but you're going to do it anyway and that's on top of your day-to-day workload so I would absolutely be transparent about what you're doing all the time and just make sure you note it down so that everyone is clear that what your remit is and actually how far it goes as well because you're a yes person 
then you end up doing more. And we spoke before, I think, didn't we, about not being a yes yeah. person and remembering just to take some time to pause because it doesn't have to be a no. This might be a, can I come back to you on that? And it just yep. means that you can take your time over it, make those decisions a bit more clearly. And also that when you're transparent about it, if your workload, staff will have a little bit more empathy with you in terms of asking you to do things as well. Yes. And it also might mean they respond quicker and better rather than you having to chase them lots. I'm, bi- I'm being optimistic. <laughs> I think you've always I'm had the ones. Optimistic. There's always the ones that you know. And actually, you know, like anything, that's a leadership skill, isn't it? Getting the blockers on board first. So when you know that that person is going to not sabotage, that's a strong word, but not be overly helpful in your staff meeting. <laughs> so go to them first and just get their opinion on it add their opinion into your staff meeting. And that's a really good way of just drawing them into the whole conversation. And when you have your staff meeting or whatever it is, then it kind of looks like they're on board with you. And sometimes some of the staff who might go along with the person who's the blocker, then I go, oh, actually, maybe if the blocker's on board, we ought to be on board as well. So, you know, it's just a little tactic there to get around people in staff meetings as well. And I suppose one of the things with raising your profile is, you also need to raise the profile of SEM. And I suppose what you probably have, and my, my, my sister's experienced this with her children, and I guess she gets an email, oh, he's going on a school trip to a beach, and she's literally going, he hates beaches, he doesn't do this, it's a sensory issue, all of this stuff. She'll sit there waiting for another communication, saying, yes, we're going here, but this is what we're doing. And my sister gets nothing. she waits like a week before, and then she'll go, right, Senko, what's going on for the trip next week? What's going on? And she's like, what trip? The one to the beach? Oh. Oh. It's no, no communication. And then the week before, my sister could be seen as a really one of those difficult parents. We're just going to a beach. Who could not enjoy the beach? But in reality, there's a load of issues with that child. You need to plan out which haven't been touched. And that always, if you don't prepare for it at the beginning, in that last week, there's a lot of work they would have had to have done for enable him to go on the trip and previously on tough they refused to take a child on a trip because they couldn't work out how to deal with them on the day so they refused to take them things like that and that's the thing is if you as a senko can sit there and go well when you do it this way it, we always have this issue in the last week because you haven't prepared for it or it goes wrong on the day whereas actually when we're doing this before you even do that go talk to those parents yeah before you've even gone on the recce yeah, we've even gone on the recce. If you have to go on a recce, go just talk to parents, have a five-minute conversation. We're looking at doing this. Give me some hints on what's going to be an issue. You then build that into your planning. If you can help them see that a little bit of extra planning or preparation at the beginning reduces all that drama later on and reduces it for them, they might be a bit more on board with the SEN side. But that's a lot of work. You've got to change minds. Definitely. I think that goes back to just making sure the profile of SEN in the school is whole school responsibility and not an add-on. So the best schools that I've seen are the schools where the the leader, Senko, has that staff meeting time every half term, for example. And there might be a bit on every staff meeting about SEN. And it's that drip feeding of best practice that can go in, you know, week in, week out that everybody on the SLT is on board, everybody is on board with it because ultimately it makes learning experience better for everybody. So people can then preempt these issues. So also part of my training, if I train anybody in particular SEND needs, then I try and give them a kind of experience of how that feels. So there's plenty of videos, for example, of like sensory needs and how it actually feels. So you were saying about your watch on the desk, weren't you? earlier and you know you're banging your watch on a desk you know if that's all you can think about if somebody can hear that in a class and that's all they can think about then that's a massive thing they can't concentrate on anything else but you wouldn't necessarily understand that if you don't have those needs yourself so what might be a light tap to one person is a huge banging noise to somebody else so when I do my training I try and give people that experience so they can empathize a bit better with those learners And then people start thinking a little bit more deeply about those wider needs and different circumstances. Now, if you're confused about Lynn and the watch, 
It is, I'm in our podcast studio, Lynn's recording from where she is. And what I found is I'm a little bit noisy on the desk. So I've got a giant mouse mat, which everyone's, everything sits on. So when I put the mug down, it was silent. But I found my watch, I kind of, I'm lazy with my lift and my wrist up. So I kind of rub against the desk. When I have my watch on, it bangs the desk and you get a big thud through the microphone. So I've learned when I record to take my watch off. A small adjustment, which doesn't cost anything, doesn't change anything, but it's that small adjustment, which basically means you're not sitting there going, oh, that's a loud noise as you're listening to this podcast. But it is, it's raising that profile of you and SEN is to me the role of the Senko. It's one of the biggest roles. There's all the paperwork, which takes a lot of the time. But to me, the overall arching thing of the Senko is supporting and getting, raising that profile, getting everything more inclusive and getting people to change things. So when you're in a meeting, you're not having to say, and what about the special needs pupils? Every time someone discusses something, that is already being taken into account. That's what you want. But what you want to do is they go, okay, we've got this. And they might come to you for some questions. Yeah, but they're already thinking about it. That is, if you're doing that, your life will get easier as a Senko. Definitely. And I think with the class teacher responsibility there, all too often it's left to the Senko to be a miracle worker for what is actually the class teacher's remit. So raising your profile in staff meeting by using your code of practice, for example, just to highlight that every teacher is a teacher of SEND, as well as other things that should be addressed in class. So like high quality teaching. And I've always used an initial concern form with the idea being that I don't even have to go and see a child in class unless class teacher has shown me a range of strategies that they've tried to have a go at on their own before asking me. Of course, realistically, I'm a bit kinder than that. And actually, you know, particularly if they're an early career teacher, for example, I'll put in extra support where it's necessary. You know, do staff inductions, also support things, issues before they happen. So these days, you know, brain break, safe spaces, now next and then boards, word match, they should be standard practice and scaffolding and differentiation in classes. It should all be standard practice. So there should be no need to come to you if that's all already embedded. And then you can actually just turn up for the meteor, more difficult issues, hopefully. Yes, definitely. So yeah, raising your profile in your school. We've talked about sharing your workload, being that transparent, because that is really important. It is what is going on. You, I think Senkos, I think probably are probably the swan thing. Graceful on the surface, pedaling like anything underneath. Yeah. And the more you look like that, and the more you're pedaling, the more graceful you are on the surface, the less people actually know how fast you're running. Mm. Yeah. So you need to communicate your workload Communicate your stress levels to your senior leaders. Yeah. So it's not, it might hopefully isn't constant stress, but it can go up and down, things changing. Communicate with your leaders. Okay. They will want to look after you, hopefully. But nine times out of 10, they want to, mainly because if you're not there, that's another impact on the budget. So even if it's just for that reason, they'll want to look after you, want to make sure everything's manageable and help, as well as raising your profile to the staff around you, help your leadership understand your role. Definitely. And actually, if I think about my role when I was a Senko, my day would often seem really haphazard. So timetabling your day, I would say, is also really important because it can appear quite unstrategic. And that's just how my brain works, because I'll flip from one thing to another, but it's not actually the best use of time sometimes. So I got to the point where if I had to explain to somebody what actually happened in my school day, I would really struggle because I might finish a third of a job and then something happens, you know, I might be needed for something. And as a profession, we just do a lot of firefighting and less fire prevention. So to combat this, I try and make sure that I've got a really detailed timetable. Also, so if I've got an intervention group, people need to know when I'm turning up for that. You know, I want to keep those children in a good timetable so they know what to expect as well. And, you know, I submit this to my senior leadership team weekly, whether they want it or not, really, because I also want to be transparent about what I'm using my time for. Because, you know, if there's something they want me to do, I can then say to them, well, what on this list do you want me to not do? So I can squeeze that in. So it's kind of you don't want to be micromanaged. No one wants that. But then if you take the steps to actually provide that information, then no one's ever going to say to you, well, what are you doing then? Yep. And you'll always have an answer, like, well, I'm doing this and this. So 
I would certainly recommend, you know, getting it on paper or at least having it on paper at the start of the week and at the end of the week, annotating that piece of paper to just outline what actually happened as opposed to what you planned, because the two are probably very different things. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned a word which we haven't covered yet, which is the strategic word. So when you became a Senko, I know you had previously in the leadership, how strategic do you felt you were? How much time did you actually have to be strategic when you first became a Senko? I think it varied under different leadership because I had different leadership when I first became a Senko in comparison to when I finished being a Senko. So I think under the first head teacher that I worked for through Senko, and she was great because she was also a Senko. So a lot of those things were already in place and she knew what was what. And together we could direct where the school was going in terms of all the provision, what we wanted to achieve. So she was really on board with that. So I mean, the opposite side of that is if anybody's in a school where your senior leadership team aren't too fussed about SEND. So it's really difficult to be strategic if you are banging your head against the wall of people not quite understanding needs. So just in those terms, I don't know that you can be particularly strategic overall in a school that's not ready for it. That's the thing. There's the the time to think about it and to be strategic yourself and go, right, this is what we need to do and, and aim for it. Then there's the second part is getting the school on board with it. And a lot of time is they're not on board with it. That's the sad truth is a lot of time they're not really on board with it. They're not thinking it as a whole school thing because we've got a Senko who deals with it. And it's like a, you're a pigeonhole who sits over to the side who deals with everything. And they don't need to worry about it because you've got a Senko. But it should be a whole school thing and it, it should be part of that school improvement plan. Definitely. To me, I think every year there should be something to do with SEN on the school improvement plan because it is not one or two children in a school. In most cases, we are talking 10, 20%, depending on your area, and are impacted. So that's a lot of children. That's every teacher will be in contact and working and supporting those children. So it should be on the whole school plan. Definitely. And, you know, supporting these learners is obviously the correct and right thing to do, you know, regardless of Ofsted, but even including Ofsted. SEND is now interleaved through every strand of it for every subject. So there really is no reason to exclude SEND as part of your whole whole school ethos and outlook. And actually doing those joint walkarounds with people as well would be really important. So going around as Senko with other senior leaders, just so that you can just talk about what you're focusing on in comparison to what the other senior leaders leader is focusing on is quite telling and it'll be useful cpd for the other person so that they when they go around on their walks that they can actually have a little bit more understanding of what good scnd should look like in class so it's also upskilling those senior leaders as well and it's also i'm going to bring this in here i've seen this a few times on groups is the english lead is the lead of english for every single pupil not the lead of English apart from SEN. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I've seen schools where the Senko, on post on group, where the Senko has been asked by the English lead to write the curriculum intent for the special needs pupils. No, that's the English lead's job. Yes. You are leading that subject for every single pupil, which means that actually as an English lead, you need to know about mm. how to support pupils. And you can liaise with the Senko on that. There's no reason why you can't work together on it because it might be that the English lead doesn't actually know much and needs to know a little bit more. So there's a good opportunity there for collaboration. That's the same in every subject, isn't it? So yes. every subject should have something about SCND in, in the way that they approach the subject. But you help not do yeah, advise them, well, these are good things they can do, and then you can support them and train them. Hopefully, over time, they'll be more confident doing it themselves and they can support English at all levels, not just those working at the expected standard. That's what we want to work towards, that they are leading. And the same way you're leading, supporting, they are leading SEN within their subject as well. That's what we want to get to. Yeah. So I've also mentioned previously the Senko workload survey. Again, so we're thinking of workload and well-being. Go have a look at that. See where you sit in within there. Yeah, where do you, are you one of the ones who get three days to be a Senko every week? 
doesn't happen. Are you the person who gets half an hour to be a Senko every week and then that's taken away from you? Where do you fit in that? And that's something is, is, yeah, go have a look at that. If you've not looked at that, it was done by a number of organisations together. I can't remember them off the top of my head. It was Bath Spa was the main one. So if you just Google yes. Bath Spa Senko survey, it will come up straight away and there's the amendment on that as well. Yes. So go read those, see where you are. But this whole podcast is really focusing on, as I said, we're protecting you. Yeah. I always use this whenever you do first aid training. The first thing you do is before you go and support that person or look up, make sure it's safe to do so. Yeah. If they're standing on the holding two train rails, don't go and the pot, don't go and hold them as well. You'll end up as don't make two casualties. And so I think when you're supporting people, you've got to take the same approach. Yeah, you can't support them if you're not in a place to support them. Yeah, so you have to look after yourself, which is really hard to do with everything going on at the moment. And we're currently recording in October 2022. We have no idea what's happening still with energy bills in schools, budgets, increasing level of need, more complex, running out, running out. There are no special needs school places. You've got to deal with them in mainstream. It's just not a good place to be right now. So looking after yourself is really important and spending time each week looking after yourself. If you spend half, just half an hour looking after yourself each week, that will make you more productive. Yes. Don't look at it as I'm not, I should be doing something, which is something I often do is if I stop, I feel like I should be doing something. But the stopping is doing something because you're calming yourself down. You're getting what you're reflecting on things you're doing and working all that out, working out the reprioritizing what's in front of you and maybe sitting there going, yeah, I can't actually cope with this. This is too much. I need to go talk to someone, but you need to find that time to stop. I think when you're a new Senko or take on a new role that you can become more of any role really a self-fulfilling prophecy because the way I did it is I wanted to show I was doing a good job so I worked more and then I needed to work more to maintain the image that I was doing a good job so the cycle continues doesn't it so before long you know being a people pleaser a yes person an empath whatever you want to call it so (laughs) before long you just got this cycle of doing more to try and please everybody, whereas you're, you're looking very capable and amazing, but it's still much higher than you should be, or much more, many more hours than you should be actually working. And I've done my own research through some of the Facebook groups from my book that's coming out next year about saying co-survival. And interestingly, the context range is absolutely crazy. Just there's no you know, the graph that I made had like, I don't know, 20 different sticks on it for the context of different Senkos and different environments and how much time for release you got in comparison to how much time you had in class, what your other responsibilities were, even how well you're paid for the role. So there is there doesn't seem to be much continuity between roles in terms of that, even though that we've they've got lots of common themes of workload that we have to address. There's no common grounds for or no, there's nothing in writing to say how much time anyone would need to do that. So I would welcome anything that comes forward from a legal perspective that would protect Senko time moving forward, because that is something from a government level that I think really needs to happen. And, you know, seeking support is really important. It's really tempting just to get on with it as your day leaks into your evenings and your weekends. And that EHCP that's always unwritten, the application that you've had on the back burner for three weeks. And, you know, it's the individual children that ultimately suffer because of the workload, which doesn't really sit well with our naturally empathetic souls either. So co-guilt has definitely been worse than class teacher guilt about things that have not been undone impacts the individual child and the perfectionist in me struggles to balance that tidal wave of expectations and paperwork generally so I've never been good at asking for help myself and you know also you know it's the same thing if you haven't actually voted you can't complain about things can you so so you do need yeah so you do need to stand up and be counted 
just within your school about workload in general. So I would always advocate to anybody that they make a general stand for improvement of workload. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help, as I sort of alluded to earlier, about getting admin support in if that's something that needs doing. See if there's anything you can delegate, find out from your leadership team what you can stop doing so that you can do something else that's more useful. But don't do too much work in your own time. But we all yes. do it. <laughs> you all do it, but you, it shouldn't be you should be doing it every single week. It should be ebbs and flows. But I think with Senkos, it's not an ever. It's a constant, always working, all hours. And you all do it because you don't want to let the children down and things like that, And it, which is so important, which is why you give so much. And that's the thing is you think you can cope with it, but it is. it will have an impact on your physical and mental health. There are people who burn out and can't go back to school for three months. Mm. Yeah. That's no job should be doing that to people. I wrote an article for Nexus last year and won an award for it, which was nice. But, you know, it's flipping the narrative about saying that what if we didn't call it burnout? What if we changed that word for exploitation? Because then that puts the onus back on the employer to make sure that the conditions are okay for us to work, whereas burnout sounds that it's something you've brought on yourself. So just by changing that one word, that kind of flips the whole thinking behind that. And I think that's an important thing to, to put out as well because we're all doing too much. And I speak to people in other professions who just go, why are you doing that? We would just say no, and it would be fine. And people will go, okay, then. <laughs> so, But, you know, in the teaching profession, we give, 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 and the government takes, 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 and there's just nothing. When they're left with no, no teachers, then maybe they'll have to rethink. But, you know, that process is going to be horrendous, isn't it? Because the average lifespan of a teacher is about five years now from early qualified it's- to or leaving. The next couple of years as we're waiting for this SEND green paper is going to be very interesting. I think the system will break before we get to the green paper unless the government changes something. So that's the thing. It's not you. As I love that exploitation because it's not you that's failing the children. It's the system that is failing you. Yeah, you're being exploited. You've given everything until you have nothing left. And that's only then does that happen. It, you shouldn't be put in that situation. Everything should be there, but it always comes down to money. It comes down to local authorities not being given the money to support the children. The local authorities don't want to. It's always down to the money. And you're basically, you are being exploited because you have that emotional connection to those people in front of you. Whereas that person, the local authority who is looking at numbers on a spreadsheet has no emotional connection to those people. But the people in the schools, you as Senko's, you are emotionally exploited to do these things. And it will take, it's not just, if you take three months out of work and then come back, you're not the same person ever again. I don't just mean that in your work life. I mean, every point of view, that has an impact on you and you will be changed forever. So you don't want to go through that. You shouldn't have to go through that. You should not be pushed to go through that and i'm gonna move on to because you mentioned other roles to me the senko is enough (laughs) definitely that there's plenty to forget i mean unless you work in a tiny school with only three on your register you're then fine but otherwise then there is never enough time if you were a full-time senko without a class responsibility you still wouldn't have enough time so eal mental health leads safeguarding other leads get thrown at the Senko. Pastoral, I guess. Um, yeah. Just lots of things get thrown at you. People premium. People premium, because they're all overlapped. They're all interlinked. But they all have their own areas. They all require their own time. And they all are, they are different. Now, in one hat, it's actually probably really good that if you have got a people premium children who is EAO with SEN, that they're just dealing with one person rather than regurgitating the the same meeting three times. That is good. But if you are going to do that, that person probably shouldn't be teaching. Yeah, in larger schools I've worked at, we've quite often had sort of a safe, got a safeguarding person and you've got also had a behaviour person as well. 
And actually, in those circumstances, it's really nice to have like a, at least a fortnightly meeting just to find out where you do link up, because that child who's on the radar for behaviour, sometimes the Senko hasn't even heard of them. Actually, it's an underlying SEMH need, so which needs addressing, which would then support the rest of the class in the, in improving outcomes for everybody. So just to have those joined up conversations as well is really important in a bigger school. Yes. And if you are taking on the Senko role, you really should be paid for it. Quite simple. You should be paid for it. Not not a fiver. You should be paid quite a bit. And this is another thing where, as well as no guidance on how much time you're given, there is no guidance on how it should be rewarded. No, and this is another piece of evidence, uh, evidence that I got with the surveys that I did through the Facebook groups. And Again, it was interesting, all the different ways that people got paid. So there is an SCN allowance, but it's my understanding that is used for teachers who have a higher percentage of SCND children in their class who are basically SCND teachers, not a SENCO. So a lot of SENCOs are paid using that allowance. But it's my understanding that actually it should be more of a TLR allowance. And then also you've got some SENCOs who don't get any more. You've got SENCOs who have to pay for their own training and or then get um, get tied into their school for three years if the school pay for their training. So that's something else as well. You've got SENCOs who are already on the leadership pay scale who then don't get any extra because they're already on the leadership pay scale. Although if they're an assistant head with SENCO and there's a lot of SCND, then I'm guessing that they spend all their time doing SCND and not a lot else anyway. And then you just get the poor people who don't get any extra money, of course. There's a layer of those as well. And I mean, personally, from my perspective, I didn't get any extra money until I had completed my NA Senko, which I paid for myself. That's wrong. On every level, that is wrong. That's just wrong. It's not right. And in in the private sector, none of that work, none of that would Mm. happen because you just instantly move to a company who would look after exactly. you. But the problem is the money isn't there or isn't appeared to be there, but it should be there. It should be found at whatever cost. But again, the Senko is a huge role. If you have other roles and you feel you're, make sure you're getting the money. If you're not getting the money, I would personally not have a problem of handing that role back. Yeah. When you do that, they might sit there. And I've read of people who uh, were doing the role, complaining about the workload, left, and then were replaced by two people. Mm. So I've heard lots of stories like that. When that person moaned and moaned, when they had to replace them, they actually had to take on two people to do that role. Never got an apology, nothing. It's just they realised later on. So don't be exploited again. I love that. (laughs) Don't be exploited. I'll send you the link to the article as well. Yes, I'll stick it. Lovely. I'll stick it in. Send it to me. I'll put okay. it in the show notes. And the other thing is, I didn't realise this, and it might be true, it might not, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Is a senko can be sued. They're one of the few people in the school who can be individually sco- sued. Didn't know that one. That's a new one. But uh, yeah, to have a look. So I've seen it in a group of people going, "Yes, this is true." So I've not really read into it, but that's the thing. There is a you are by taking on that role. There is a legal responsibility. It's part of the reason I stopped being a chair of governors. When something goes really wrong in a school, the head is liable and the chair of governors is equally liable. So something happened at school, I would have to be on the news, standing next to my head teacher, taking half the blame. Even though in that situation, I actually had no control over it and I didn't like it, so I had to walk away. So there are certain roles that you've got to sit there and go, and people, you end up having your name put on the Ofsted inspection report and things like that. So if you're going to literally put yourself out there, you have to be rewarded. And when you're, you're named, or not named, but the role is named on, your, on the Ofsted report and your hands are tied because of the organisation that you're working in, it, it gets very difficult because you're the, it's obvious who it is because you're the only one in the school. So I've heard of yeah. situations in the past where you know, schools have not been very inclusive, yet it's the SCN and SENCO that have been on the report making it look as if the sole issue is there rather than it being a whole school 
issue because actually if you're in a school where you know that there's an awful lot of work to do it's not only the SENCO's job to do it because it has to be a whole leadership job to raise standards so if SEND is struggling then everybody in the leadership team needs to be on it not just you that includes governors definitely includes governors and your send governor but you send governor again in the same with the senco you don't have a senco so no one else has to worry about it and you send governor you don't have a send governor so everyone else doesn't have to worry about it your senco champions sen and supports everyone around sen you send governor champions sen to the governors and supports all governors around sen that's to me what it should be. And I would actually there think about your listeners and whether they could reflect on if they know who their SEND governor is and B, if they have seen them in the past six months. And C, is SEN ever discussed in governor's meetings? Because I know when I was a governor, it was never coming up. And if you think of equity and all those sorts of things, yeah, that actually these are the pupils who are getting the support, get the money. And all this lot going into them, and yet they're not really discussed at governance meetings. We discussed the top percentage. Yeah. But with the increased need, I mean, we talk about post-pandemic increased need generally. Children, all the staff that I've spoken to in schools are saying that their year one cohort and their foundation stage cohort, I've heard phrases like, we've never seen anything like it because of, of the need that's coming through, the lack of speech and language at home you know, difficulty, potty training, the list is endless, really. So so from that perspective and the statistics such as autism being 300% increased in the last 10 years, if you add all that together, the only way SCND is going is upwards. So from that perspective, it really needs to be slightly higher on on our agendas. And I think one of my favourite statistics is the one where the government, was it the 2030 one, where the government want 90% of the year sixes to be A-R-E in year six, whereas there's more than 10% of SCND learners in the class. Of course, some of those will be higher attainers, so of course. Yes, but yes. Their, their own statistics don't add up. That's the thing. I, whatever happens to the green paper, because the green paper was so vague, I was like, oh, I'll wait for the next version before I really judge it. Because I could be saying this is great, and then you do the opposite of what I thought you were going to do. So, I've looked, but the what that ninety percent, I went, okay, that's what you're aiming for. And the key stage one and key stage two results nationally have been released, and I think we've dropped between like five and 10% in every area. So we were at 65%. We're now down in the fifties in lots of areas or low sixties. We're up. So we've actually gone backwards and we've got eight years to get to 90, but those, that group, that cohort. Yeah. The 2030 cohort are the ones born 2019, 2020. They're the ones who are probably the most affected by COVID. So to get to 90% in a good decade <laughs> was going to be a challenge. And to me, if they get to 90%, well, you're really going to have to fund SCN. You're really going to have to promote inclusivity. You're really going to have to do all of this. There's loads of work. To do it in this decade with COVID is just impossible. So they've got to do something. If they're trying to aim for 90%, money has to arrive. Regardless of the green paper, if they want to get anywhere near 90%, money has to arrive to support SEN. And I want the tutoring programme to do more than just English and maths and science. I want the tutoring programme to do the lower level skills, the softer skills, the other skills, actually helping to access the curriculum. There's loads that could be done, but the government needs to get the money out and they need to pay. Autism up 300, all that stuff, it just needs, and it needs to increase, and it's not... And at some point, the system is going to break. Yeah, I mean, even if they just thought about the curriculum a bit more carefully, because obviously they raised all the standards in 2014, whereas I remember being a year one teacher back then and having a good laugh at the spelling expectations for year one. Made my day, I think. I could <laughs> stop laughing about that one. And you know, every teacher was the same, just in terms of what we had to achieve. But if for inclusive le- learning that we could change the way children accessed 
the curriculum in order to meet those so that they were allowed to use technology more in exams and day-to-day working, all those things were in place, then, you know, I've no doubt that we'd probably get to, you know, more towards 90% if every child that needed to have a laptop, for example. Yeah, and it would. It, it, we could get somewhere near there if we go back to well-being, we go back to the right support, but also what we're testing is the right thing. So if I, as a parent who watched my children go through SATs and my eldest has just done GCSEs, I'm not convinced that the SATs or the GCSEs, well, I know the SATs definitely aren't, but I'm now convinced the GCSEs aren't in my daughter's interest. They're in the government's interest. They're in the league tables. They're in the PISA's interest. They're not actually in my daughter's interest. So again, if the SATs aren't in my child's interest and the GCSEs, if we change them so they were in my child's interest and they were more relevant and actually covered the skills we need, I really don't care about Shakespeare personally, that might have a bigger impact. Me, for someone, I have to understand the relevance of what I am doing for me to even think about it. I think there's, there's nothing more heartening than hearing adults talk about how they didn't do very well at school, yet they have made massive successes with their life despite having school trauma, for want of a better word. So if we could reduce that yes. school trauma for those these children coming through it now, then amaz- imagine what amazing things the next generation could achieve. Definitely. I hated secondary school. My mum was a teacher. I was forced to go. I started bunking off in year 11. My attendance was down to 20% the entire way through college. I scraped through with a couple of A-levels. I never went to university because I just didn't see the point. But all I ever do now is learn. I learn about special needs. I learn about tech. I learn about things in my interest. I love learning. I just hate school. I hate the school system. And my children seem to be the same. They love learning. They're constantly learning. They're interested in things, but it's never allowed to come out in school, which is a shame. They have to conform. Mm. And I could rant on this for ages. I generally do with most guests. (laughs) I've got some top tips for for mental health and wellbeing. How about those? Should I give you those? (laughs) Go on, give me those. We need to wrap it up. Give me the top tips. Come on. I mean, my my way of working just for wellbeing when I work in schools and with teachers is kind of a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So it's giving the teachers and SENCOs the skills in order to look after their own wellbeing whilst at the same time challenging the workplace that they're in and their environment and also skilling up head teachers and senior leaders in just to making sure that you've got a great school for well-being. So between those two things, then hopefully there'll be, you've had a, it's like a pincer movement, like a lobster. So we're trying to yes. meet in the middle there. And I've got a Facebook group for teacher wellbeing. And I think I probably heard it all on there really. And just in terms of stories of horror stories of things that have happened in schools. So it's giving those teachers the space to know that they're not alone in situations as well. So when it does go horribly wrong, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that it's happened to and just to support them as well through that process. So my top 10 tips for mental health and wellbeing, not just for teachers, but everybody really. So putting your own needs higher on your agenda, first of all, because we never put ourselves higher. And I'm not going to say first, we shouldn't always put ourselves first, because actually, we have dependence and responsibilities. So sometimes it's not feasible, but certainly just putting yourself higher on your own agenda is really important. And then also, Supporting colleagues, so looking out for colleagues for their signs of stress and that they need support and in turn getting those colleagues to look out for you. So building those relationships so that the colleagues at your workplace would be happy to say to you, oh, are you okay? You're looking a bit upset today or you know, it doesn't look like it's all going very well so that they can actually have the kind of the invitation to support you with your workload and just with your work-life balance and how you're feeling when it happens, because it's very easy to put on a mask, isn't it? So putting those inhibitions aside and speaking out when issues arrive. So I think one of my key phrases when walking around school and people went, you're right, I'm like, living the dream. That would be my go-to phrase. I'm living the dream. 
which you know could mean many things couldn't it in sarcastic yes. undertones there so <laughs> but actually if someone asks you that just tell them tell them the truth you know sometimes I might wish they'd never asked but never mind <laughs> just tell them anyway so apart from that it's finding passions that you want to do outside of your workplace because we're so caught up in our work that we don't actually have time for the things that we find fun our hobbies so have something to look forward to every week get enough rest and also address those underlying causes of lack of rest it's all very easy to say get more sleep but if you're someone who has those horrible Ofsted dreams and insomnia then it's a little bit of a challenge isn't it to get too much uh, enough sleep so addressing those underlying issues eat healthier foods or find healthier food you love and eat more of it because it's very easy to go to the shop at lunchtime or eat on the hop or eat junk because you're not taking enough time to think about yourself because you're so busy exercise finding exercise that you find is fun so that you don't you can incorporate it into your daily life without actually it being too much effort because if it's not fun you're never going to do it are you so just keep trying different sports until you find one you like and then hopefully that'll become a new hobby ticks that box as well and next number eight making connections with like-minded people and being brave and taking the first step so whether that is networking with other senkos or finding someone related to your hobby outside of work then just make those connections because it can be very easy to cancel plans because you've got to get your lessons or your EHCP done by Monday morning and it just means you miss out on so much and I've heard a lot of teachers and senkos that their relationships have ultimately suffered because of their work-life balance particularly if your other half's in a, a challenging job as well you'd never speak to each other would you? Number nine spending time in nature and also having other mindful practices so I think two years ago you'd put me in the category of person least likely to meditate but I'm a little bit more into it now so (laughs) I've actually found the benefits you've got to give it a chance so before you dismiss it so I would say try it for a good two weeks and then you know five ten minutes a day to carve out that time just to make your head nice and empty because it's always so full of stuff and then lastly yes positive mindset just because, you know, there are things that are really good about saying going, about schools, about everything. So harness those positive things and hold on to them. And go with the flow a bit more. Try not to control too much. And don't be a control freak. I'm a control freak. <laughs> I like to know what's going on, but I've, I've had to learn to chill a bit more recently. And just be thankful for the good things. Though. So be thankful for everything that, you know, it could always be worse, any situation. So just remember just to think about all the little things that are great about senkoing, about teaching, about education, and just, and just hold on to those, really. So that was 10 very quick tips. So have you, are they listed on your website? They are, yes. And there's a little infographic to go with that, which you can print off and put in your classrooms. And what I would do is if you're listening to this, after this, if you can actually remember all 10, or you've scored yourself as you go. If you haven't, Go click on the link in the show notes and give yourself a score and be brutally honest. And if you're scoring a two or a three, or I'd say anything less than kind of a six, you really need to change those things for your longevity as a person. For all the reasons, yeah, I could go into performance in your job because you actually want to look after people. All of the reasons, be brutally honest and score and make changes. I reckon I'm probably scoring these days. I'd like to think I was about an eight, but probably about a six because I forget to do things. But one of the things I did a good number of years ago, I just felt I was just in the grind, just constantly. And I took up photography because it was something creative. It's something I had to f- forget what was going on and think about taking photographs and the framing and all this lot. And I had to learn, I had to go and do, I had to give up time to go and do it. And that being creative was the polar opposite to what I do in my day life. Yeah, looking at data and assessment and stuff. It was the polar. And that really helped me. And it made me feel different. So I haven't done as much photography. I don't have any time these days. But I do make sure that I do lots of family time. Because for me, that's been really important. That I can't always make the big difference I want to at work. I might want to do all these things. And for various reasons, things don't happen and things like that. If I feel I can make a difference with my children, that's more that's a big win for me. And anybody can be replaced at work and you can't be replaced at home is the message no. there, isn't it? Yes. So 
yeah, send me the exploitation, send me the top 10. I'll put those in the show notes. Everyone can read those and really think about reframing burnout as exploit. It is, it is purely exploitation. So thank you for coming to the show today, Lynn. Absolutely loved it. And I'll be putting all of Lynn's links that she's going to give me and her contact details so you can get hold of that. And you'll find her group on Facebook. So go join that and find out that not only are there others like you, there's somebody three months ahead of you, somebody a year ahead of you. And you kind of get to see what they wish they'd done. And you can kind of hopefully learn from some of their mistakes. Or you might see exactly where you're going to end up and go, that's not good and change your things. So yeah, please join those groups, find other people doing the same role, facing the same challenges, find some camaraderie with all of those peoples. And thank you for listening. So if you haven't subscribed, please click on that subscribe button and follow us on social media, share us on social media. So on Twitter, we're at the Sendcast, on Facebook, the Sendcast, on Instagram, the Sendcast, and on LinkedIn, the Sendcast. And as always, I'm going to talk about B Square because that's who provides this podcast. And we are the assessment people. Yes, we are there to help you show progress for those pupils who aren't making progress. If you look at other tracking systems or other systems you're using, we can show the small steps of progress. So please go to the B-Squared website, book a meeting with me online, and I will take you through our products. We have a huge range of assessment products to help all schools across England, Scotland and Wales to show small steps of progress for pupils with SCND. In England, if you're not quite sure about the engagement model, pre-key stage standards or anything else, get in contact. If you're a school in Wales and you've got the new curriculum for Wales and struggling with that, get in contact. You can find about all our online training courses, our conferences, you can read our blog or watch the various webinars I've done all on the B-Squared website. And you'll find a link to the website, a link to book a meeting with me and my email address all in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sencast. It's goodbye from me. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lynn. Bye. <laughs>